Welcome to the Yogi MD podcast. It's Nadine, yoga teacher, health coach, and retired doctor, here to bring you and your body together, not in sickness, but in health. Thanks for taking this time for yourself. Today, I would like to welcome my guest, Jeffrey Wolf, Director of Community Programs and Financial Operations and a board-certified music therapist at Institute for Therapy Through the Arts. Thank you very much for being here. How are you this morning? You're welcome. I'm doing well this morning. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you. I noticed that you have a Bachelor of Arts degree in percussion. Were you planning on pursuing a career in music? Yes. So I was pursuing a percussion performance degree. And at the time I discovered music therapy, I wasn't completely sure um, where I would go with my degree besides having a moderate interest in becoming a studio drummer. And I got into music therapy because I was working with a few drum lines in the Cleveland uh, area at that time. And what I noticed was some of the individuals on my drum lines were also diagnosed with learning disabilities. One was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. And one of my individuals in the pit um, was diagnosed with a neurodevelopmental disability. And so that led me to uh, look at, you know, music's effect on people in general, and specifically music's effect on the brain. And so how it integrates multiple areas of the brain, and then um, allows it to be a strength and a way that we can learn um, on a more readily basis. And so that led me to, you know, say, oh, there's a there's a field where I can help people, I can create music every single day, and, um, and do this for a living. It was wonderful. Did you get a chance to ask any of the people who were your um, fellow students who had those learning disabilities, if they were drawn to music to help those disabilities? Not at that time. Um, I think now that I'm more aware of neurodiversity and looking at um, choice in therapies and choice in health, I've had those conversations with some of my clients and, and said, you know, what do you like about this? You know, what what do you like about music? So. How long have you been a music therapist? So I've been um, working in the field for eight years now. Um, and, you know, my world went from focusing just on music therapy practice to wearing many hats. So including being the director of um, our programs at Institute for Therapy Through the Arts, um, working in f- the, the finance end of our organization, um, co-authored a book. I, I speak regularly now. Um, and to keep things going in the Chicago area, um, just wearing those many hats. Yeah, I as we were chatting yeah. earlier, I mentioned that I was going to see you at the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. You gave a talk there about music therapy and its applications. It's been wonderful to get out in the public and educate uh, about the benefits of music therapy. I think people are fascinated uh, because music is a normalizing um, art form in that it's it's in our every single day-to-day life. So they want to know, how can I use this for health and where is this field going? Can you talk a little bit more about your uh, role and the work, or many roles, and the work that you do at the Institute for Therapy Through the Arts? Sure. 
Um, so currently we have a, a staff of 17 creative arts therapists, and my role primarily consists of overseeing art, dance movement, drama, and music therapy with 38 community partners um, and I'd say 50-plus group individual sessions per week. Um, I also provide uh, direct music therapy service for individuals with autism spectrum disorder, adolescents with mental health needs, and those um, who typically have a, a history of trauma and I also see adults with uh, neurologic impairments. Um, and in addition to that, I'm very, very excited because I've been running um, a multi-site research program for the past two years with a staff of 40 volunteers and contractors. And that's in partnership with uh, Northwestern University and Silverado Care. Um, so my day-to-day <laughs> does change quite frequently. Um, However, you know, the moments where I'm present with my own clients is is a very, you know, special opportunity to me because it's very, very rewarding uh, working with all those different clients. How did you decide to specialize in neurodevelopmental disorders? So I think this goes back to when I first became interested in music therapy. Um, so when you see when someone... Uh, has abilities that they can use in the arts, specifically individuals' neurodevelopmental disorders, you see their potential and how giving a little through the music can have a huge impact. And again, it's, it's that reward. And, you know, I would love to share a, sh- a short story about oh, please do. autism. Yes. Um, so I was working with a five-year-old, uh, with autism. Uh, he was an adorable child during the day. <laughs> But at night, he had constant muscle cramps and calves from toe walking. So mm. if you've ever seen mm-hmm. a child st- stand yes. up on their tippy toes, yes. yeah, that's toe walking. Mm-hmm. So his, his parents were very concerned and were considering a very invasive surgery that would damage the calf muscles so he could start from scratch mm. and relearn the process of walking through rehabilitation services. Mm. Yeah, not, That sounds not, horrendous. That, Right. Um, so since the client was on my caseload, you know, I wanted to come up with a solution fast. Um, uh, so in the 90s, we know the music therapists and physical therapists, they work together to devise assessment and treatment of gait um, with a technique called rhythmic auditory stimulation. So using this technique, he would entrain to the beat. Um, so feel that pulse of the beat and walked on a treadmill or around the room. Mm. So uh, me specifically, I didn't look for if he could entrain, but how he entrained to the beat. So without constant support and weight on his ankles, he continued to rise up and toe walk. Um, That was until uh, we started experimenting with the music. So it was if a switch was fired, and I really believe it literally was. So when I played blues music at 100 beats per minute, he'd rise up to his toes. Right. But when I played Baroque music at 100 beats per minute, he would drop down flat footed and roll from heel to toe. So then we replicated the process over and over and over. um, And what we found was very relieving that uh, he was able to use. We hypothesized um, me and the other music therapists at the time that he was able to use the consistent subdivisions of the music that were emphasized in the Brooke music to align his motor movements while walking. And so typically when we do rhythmic auditory stimulation, you know, we're using a metronome. So we're keeping a consistent tempo Mm -hmm. that then allows that brain, that consistency and timing response Mm -hmm. in that motor area. And then we're using either an auto harp or guitar for very, very strong strums. So we have that anticipatory, what we call anticipatory cue, which is like a zoom, dum, zoom, 
dum zum dum sort of type of sound. Um, and so it's that strong cue that then allows that person's movement to align um, with with the instrument. So is that how you knew that he would respond to that specific, the Baroque music? Is that how I, you picked it? I didn't know he would respond to it. So he, um, so since he was pre-verbal, I could not ask him what type of music oh. he preferred. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, uh, it was important, you know, that I tried different music at that time and experimented with it where, um, you know, if I would have chose something that was a kid's song, that didn't have the subdivisions, we wouldn't have had this experience. That's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. If you had to give us your elevator pitch and you met someone and they said, what on earth is music music therapy? What are you talking about? What is that? Yes. So when we give our elevator speech, we usually gear it towards the person we're talking to. Um, that being said, I'm going to give you, you know, my own definition first. Mm-hmm. Um, so music therapy is defined as a clinical application. So that means we're in a clinical setting of musical elements. So that's the, the timbre, the dynamics, the um, pitch, the harmony, the rhythm. Um, so music, uh, clinical application, musical elements, and evidence practiced by a board-certified music therapist mm-hmm. to elicit change in individuals within the context of a therapeutic relationship. Okay. So um, the goal really is to help an individual obtain the highest health. We need to use research, and um, our research right now is not that fabulous. Mm-hmm. So we're working at improving the research in music therapy. Uh, also yes, so it's still at, a relatively new field. Yes, yeah. So it started around 1950s, um, back when you really didn't need th- um, research journals to be peer-reviewed mm-hmm. by universities mm-hmm. and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's it is getting better, better and better. Um, but there's importance that it is that ther- therapeutic relationship. So we get to know, you know, what's the cultural background of the person we're working with? What's their favorite music? How do we use, you know, that music? What instruments um, do they prefer so that we can adapt them in that in the moment? And then what's their, what is the relationship with the music? So we have this, you know, um, individual therapist and music all work in a, a circle of a relationship, if you will. Um, that's that, you know, therapeutic relationship that's so important. What makes music therapy unique? I'd say besides being one of the art forms that we can feel and hear without doing anything, yeah. um, it is unique because people relate to music based on their culture and experiences. Mm. Also, the the elements of music are processed in different areas of the brain, and a music therapist can use the music to simultaneously integrate multiple areas of the brain. So it's processed bilaterally and simultaneously, um, depending on that that particular element of the music. Um, it's processed across both hemispheres, you know, the motion center of the brain, the reptilian brain, which is the cerebral and, and brain stem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was going to go into this a little bit more, um, if you would like. Oh, please do. So. Um, so specifically at the lowest portion of the brainstem, which is that lower reptilian brain, we begin to process beat before uh, able being able to consciously realize it. So in the late 90s, um, researchers conducted a few studies that had patients uh, with Parkinson's disease tap along with a beat. Mm. It, and they had those participants indicate when there was a change in tempo. So what they found with uh, the brain scans 
is that we begin to entrain to the beat in what's called the reticular activating system. So with our auditory um, system, you know, we hear sound, it comes through our ears, mm-hmm. then it immediately goes down to the, the lowest areas of our, of our brain in the okay. brainstem. And so this entrainment process is the process of one system signal frequency to entrain another system. So, um, so when we hear a beat like a marching band coming down the street, mm-hmm. our cells literally begin to match the periodic rate. So sending signals up that system, that reticular activating system, to our emotional and perception centers of the brain. Um, so there's also research to support the heart rates of singers aligning in tempo when singing in a group. So we can use that, um, I often give the example, we can use that in a rehabilitation setting. So someone has um, needs to rehabilitate, say, their arm or their shoulders, mm-hmm. and they're working with a physical therapist going, you know, out, in, in, mm-hmm. out, in, in. Mm-hmm. We can motivate them, choose one of their favorite songs, um, bring down the tempo to a rate that they can do that movement, and then we can slowly increase that tempo over time without them realizing that they're doing more work. <laughs> because at the lower area, they're already in training to that tempo as we slowly increase it. Um, so see. they're going to have faster progress than um, with that music. So we're almost natural. So we're almost naturally programmed to respond to a beat. Oh, hundred percent. Yes. Okay. Yes. And. Um, people will often ask me, well, you know, my, my brother or, uh, my mom, they, they don't have a sense of beat, but there's research on that too. And it, it, we, we find out that people, um, do entrain and they may entrain on a three second, um, delay or three <laughs> seconds ahead of the beat. So as long as you keep that tempo consistent, they're going to still entrain and we're still going to be able to use it. Okay. <laughs> so there's even hope for the tone deaf and those who can't find the beat. Does the type of music used matter? Yes. Um, we were doing a t- tour of um, Shirley Ryan Ability Lab recently, and they were showing us some of the uh, work they were doing with music. And we looked at studies with decreasing pain, right? To mm-hmm. de- then we can decrease the uh, pharmaceutical treatment. Mm-hmm. Uh, happy music uh, had the effect of uh, having um, automatic opiates in the brain that then decreased, you know, the amount of uh, medicine that would be needed. Um, the first thing I do when I work with someone is I, I do ask, you know, what is your preferred music? And so that is the mu- the music that they enjoy the most, that they listen to typically between the ages of 12 and young adults, so around up to like 25-ish. Um, research shows that, you know, listening to preferred music is increasing dopamine production in our brain. So, so for me, that would not include country music. Sorry. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it's so funny because um, I work with a lot of adolescents, and their music is often their life, right? But when you ask them, especially adult asking adolescent, because um, you're getting into the world, say, you know, what's your favorite music? Uh, they'll say, oh, well, you know, I like everything. I'm Mm-mm. like, okay, okay. Mm-mm. So do you like country? Do you like rap? Do you like uh, pop? <laughs> Do you like metal folk? Do you like, you know, and so I go in and then it starts coming out. Well, well, no. Yeah. Well, I, I, I always look at that two ways of, you know, using that preferred music is going to motivate you mm-hmm. to 
engage in that that process. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing, um, and I could go on a whole tangent on this, and I I promise I won't do that. (laughs) Um, When we use that music that is ours and we know it creates a satiation effect. So it helps to normalize that environment and helps us to feel comfortable and Mm -hmm. safe because when all these other things in our life are occurring, we know what to expect, at least with that music. I know in my own personal experience, I can pick a song or pick an album or pick an artist, and it takes me right back to that place. I can remember where I was, what I was doing. Did it make me comfortable? How did I feel at that time of my life? I can recreate those memories with music. Do you ever use therapeutic methods where you're not just playing the music, where you're having your client play an instrument? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say... Um, probably 75% of all music therapy is active music making. Mm. So the more we can engage um, the individual in creating music, um, again, mentioning singing, uh, we know that positive chemicals are created in the brain when we sing together. Um, so the more that we're creating music, the more that our body's going to be engaged. So we're more in tune with our body, more aware of our body, and the more the brain's going to be activated. Do you ever find that your client is hesitant because they feel like, oh, I'm, I'm on the spot now. I have to compose something beautiful. Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And often um, when we're looking at whether someone's a good fit for music therapy versus art therapy or dance mm-hmm. movement or mm-hmm. drama therapy, mm-hmm. if they're a professional musician and that music is so close to their heart that mm-hmm. they cannot get away from that perfectionistic um, mm-hmm view of the music, we'll push them towards a different art form. You know, we'll push them towards the visual arts or whatnot, um, because music may create too much anxiety Mm -hmm. in that moment, Mm -hmm. and they may not be able to explore their own health um, through that process. Where do music therapists work? Uh, Schools, hospitals, other places? Sure. So um, with memory care and nursing facilities, that's about 10% of our work, um, 20% in mental health, uh, 10% at hospitals, about 15% is working with individuals with developmental disabilities, whether that's in a community um, agency or a private practice um, clinic. Um, then, of course, working in schools, um, working with individuals with disabilities in school systems. Um, our work at Institute for Therapy Through the Arts, uh, we have three locations, you know, one at Evanston, one in Highland Park, and one downtown. Um, And then we partner with different agencies, hospitals, nursing homes, residential facilities, adult daycare um, facilities, and several schools uh, across the southwest suburbs, Chicago, and north suburbs. Can you touch upon once more the types of disorders that can be treated through music therapy? So getting back to working with individuals with um, developmental disabilities, um, and I would love to uh, talk about individuals with Alzheimer's as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I love telling uh, Nick's story um, because it's such a it's such a powerful story. It, and this really comes up with the uh, the technique 
Um, and theory that researchers are looking at is that you know when we sing information versus speaking it, there's less white noise in the signal, so it's a lot clearer of a of a signal. Um, and so we use this to create mnemonic memory devices, so mm-hmm. such as like the ABC song. Mm-hmm. Um, so Nick was a or is um, Nick is a black young adult who's who was abandoned in the streets at a very very young age. Um, he suffered from neglect and had um, developmental trauma. So he was found the streets, and then an angel of a mother um, adopted him, and then she brought him to us at Institute for Therapy Through the Arts when he was very young, um, because all he would do is scream at night, he would Mm. destroy things. Mm -hmm. Um, At that time, he was pre-verbal, so he wouldn't communicate at all about his emotions. And so he started in art therapy, uh, um, and eventually that led to him being able to express his emotions as he started to develop some um, verbal skills. And then uh, he came into music therapy a little bit later as we started helping him with social skills. Nick was very, very social, but didn't have control of these social skills. Okay. So he was going up to um, women in stores and wanting to give them hugs, but he didn't ask, and he would come up behind them and give them a hug from behind. And so cops were called a couple times um, and things like that, Mm. and just... And luckily, you know, Nick is is highly motivated by by music and specifically singing and rapping. And so he also responds very well um, to memorize directions when they're sung. So I use um, the technique of mnemonic music to compose lyrics to social skills steps. Um, so first ones, uh, well, the order was to say hi to friends, to avoid strangers, mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. eventually engaging in conversation. Um, and he got to the point where he could ask um, questions like who, what, when, where, so those WH type questions, and then sustain conversation. And so then eventually his mom would use that same device um, at school. Uh, we would tr- transition it so that you know he had a memory device that he could use anywhere. Um, and now he's, he's doing wonderful. He is sustained conversations. He's winning awards um, at his day program for being the most um, best team player and things oh, like that. Oh, that's great. What can one expect during a session? An adult who comes in with dementia versus a, a child who comes with comes in with autism? Um, so the first thing, you know, you should really expect a music therapist to get to know your music. So they're going to ask, um, do a music assessment um, and get to know what that music is. Um, I already mentioned adapting instruments to make the music as comfortable as possible. Mm-hmm. And then they'll engage in an assessment that looks at, you know, social areas, cognitive areas, mm-hmm. motor, gross motor, mm-hmm. so social areas, emotional areas, um, and then engage uh, in the music, you'll engage in the music uh, with the therapist to uh, work on skills you hope to achieve to improve. Based so on the, the results of your testing, what yes. where your strengths and weaknesses lie. Right, right. So if I was working with an individual with autism, um, typically, especially if they're a, a child, I have many um, who come in that do have uh, sensory uh, needs. Mm-hmm. So meaning that you know, their parents often come in and say, well, I can't take them to a concert because it's too loud. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and often parents are blown away because what I do is, well, I don't actually do anything. I <laughs> let the child go into the room and explore. And then I say to the parent, 
it's that lack of control of the sound that is overstimulating oh. for the individual. So they'll go up and they'll be playing the drum set and um, the parent is blown away it's because this this child because it's loud yeah yeah right um but it's because it's out of their control mm. and so we can work on developing those those sensory regulation skills then of you know when you go to that setting okay where are the headphones when you um are transitioning to a new environment okay what are you going to expect in advance so that they have a sense of control going in there of what's what's going to happen um so with that individual then i'm going to look at you know um do they are they drawn to piano are they drawn to drum sets are they using the music just for repetition um to provide that stimulation are they um drawn to a certain song so and are they able to reflect you know that song makes them feel um frustrated Mm -hmm. or that song makes them feel you know a sense of joy um so looking at that emotional capacity um do they have uh needs with movement you know do they have a sense of boundaries or where their body is in space Mm -hmm. because we can use you know music and movement um for that uh, is there uh issues with communication and speaking so um do i need to use um a song called matilda the gorilla where we're doing this type of sound to work on those um that oral motor region of their their mouth so i'm looking at all those different areas within mm-hmm. that that first session mm-hmm. then determine you know what is their biggest need and i'm pulling out all of these songs that uh either are their favorite from home and there's so many great kid songs or songs that I know are going to target these different areas that um, I will help them learn because they're still close to that same genre of music that they like. So if we um, flip to working with an individual with dementia, yes. you know I'm going to do this, the same thing with the preferred music. Often, if someone is in the later stages of dementia, mm-hmm. they're not able to communicate and consent mm-hmm. to what type of music you know um, they're listening to. Um, so it's important to look at, you know, is there agitation? Are they, you know, arching their back and, and, and pulling away with certain types of music? So I'll expose them to music from when they were in between the ages of 12 to 25 or um, music that perhaps their parents listen to um, and what their family member says they like. What I'm, what I'm careful of is if I do see that agitation, I don't know what that music's associated with. So maybe it was associated with um, a divorce. Maybe it was associated um, with um, a traumatic event that occurred in their life. Mm -hmm. And so I, as a music therapist, keep that in mind. And I think that's the biggest thing between, you know, music therapists versus um, someone who goes into a memory care unit and just uses music, they don't think of how they could actually be causing harm. Is the music itself um, over overstimulating for uh, mm. what's going on right now? Because mm. if that person is a little um, disoriented, then I may sit there with just a beat and nothing else mm. for five minutes mm-hmm. until they they begin to be oriented to that beat in a calm state before I add, you know, singing or um, lyrics or harmony or a guitar and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, music is is one of the last things that we lose. And that's because of how connected all those synapses are in music within the brain. And so that that um, 
music is then stored deeply within our hippocampus, which, which is the memory center of the brain. And then the other um, part is that the parietal lobe of the brain is not affected with dementia. And that's another area where um, music is highly activated hmm. uh, within the brain. And so we can use that to then create um, new connections in the brain. So with brain plasticity mm-hmm. uh, to help them repair uh, parts that are damaged. So we're using all of that you know, knowledge to then target you know, movement and speaking. And if we can get them to sing uh, one of their favorite songs, then we can start tailoring those lyrics to um, sustain uh, the ability to speak uh, functional, what we call functional sentences. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're looking at, all those different areas, that social, um, that communication. Um, can we help them uh be in a choir? Can we help them be in different community environments and um, be able to express their wants and needs? So my final question I usually close with is, (laughs) what is your personal definition of what it means to be healthy? Sure. Um, So I've explored uh, several wellness models personally, um, and I really define uh, being healthy as a continuum across mind, body, spirit, occupation, community, love and relationships, Mm -hmm. and the emotional self. Um, So I feel there's a balance amongst all these things. And often we find ourselves stuck in an unhealthy lifestyle when we're neglecting that balance. Um, So I enjoy the arts. And while it can be cerebral at times, music can also um, be used during physical activity. So I've mentioned tempo. Um, We don't have to experience speak to express our emotions mm. so that's a beautiful thing mm-hmm. um, and there's there's so many avenues to use the arts and it plays a big role in my health well said I wholeheartedly agree <laughs> thank you again for your time and um, tell us how we can find you or find out more about music therapy sure well thank you Nadine for having me here it's, so you can learn more about music therapy uh, if you go to itachicago.org or uh, you can go to uh, www.musictherapy.org and that'll take you to the, the National uh, American Music Therapy Association those will get you going So, and you can always find me here in Chicago terrific And now it's time for practical tips. Mind, body, and spirit tip. As Jeffrey said, art allows us to express our emotions without words. You don't have to put pressure on yourself to be good at it. So what's holding you back from exploring music, dance, singing, painting, or other art forms to express yourself? without words. It's never too late to learn something new. Thanks for being here. See you next time.